Mark chapter 2. All right, I'm on and good? Okay, thank you. Um, I already put the water here. Last year during the Christmas play, my mouth went dry, and the first five minutes were horrific. So I put some water up here. Um, all right, I'm going to start a timer too. The title of my message is Weightier Matters. Now that's not weightier as in mercury weighing more than water. That's what's more important to God. So um, some examples of the Pharisees' issues with Jesus. All right, Mark 2, verse 15 through 17. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat, at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with the publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with the publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick... Uh, but they that are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here's an example where the Pharisees um, were having an issue because Jesus was with publicans and sinners, and um, Jesus rebuked them. And he talked about um, those who need a physician and those who are not righteous. He's come for them. Drop down to verse 23, 23 right to the end of the chapter. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did? When he had need and was an hungered, he and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathera, I don't know how to pronounce his name, excuse me, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat for the priest and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Uh, The Pharisees were accusing him of not being lawful, letting the disciples eat corn. And he cited a situation with David in which he said, Yeah, that was not lawful. And yet, he stood by what his disciples had done to eat corn, because they had need. And he rebuked them, the Pharisees. And he said, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Um, Once again, he rebuked the Pharisees. They had called him out. They said, you're not following the rules. You're not following our laws. Uh, How can you have excuse for this? And every time Jesus had an answer. And uh, I've written ten of these, and I'm obviously not going to read them all. So I'm going to kind of scan through the rest. Uh, so don't have to turn anywhere, but Mark 3, 1 through 6, the Pharisees had an issue with uh, Jesus healing on the Sabbath. 
And they were so angered, they said, how they might destroy him. They were after him to destroy him. (laughs) He was healing somebody on the Sabbath, a person of flesh and blood. And that's, that's their response. Mark 7, 1 through 9. Eating with unclean hands. And uh, they, the Pharisees had an issue with Jesus for this. And Jesus said that they were teaching the doctrine of men. Again, the weightier matters. What was more important, that they eat with unclean hands or, or the doctrine of men that they were preaching? I know from landscaping, anybody who's done this kind of stuff, yard work, uh, I worked with David Didio, and uh, we would break, we'd eat lunch, and we'd go back to work, and my hands were filthy from the dirt, from the mud. Uh, I'm glad I didn't have to follow Jewish law. I'd be in big trouble. Uh, so would uh, all those who followed. It's just the way it is. Uh, by the way, if you know me and you know, you can talk to my wife and my daughter, I wash my hands like 20, 30 times a day. But it's not important. It really isn't at the end of the day. Um, Luke 5, 17 through 26. They're set with Jesus because he healed a man of palsy. And they accused him of how he could forgive sin. And once again, Jesus rebuked them. And he, he basically said, what's more, what's more, that I could forgive sin or have this man walk? And the guy walked. Luke 5, 27 through 32. They went to Levi's house. And they wanted, he wanted, again, he wanted to know what the Pharisees wanted to know why he eat and drank with the publicans and sinners. And Jesus rebuked them. Luke 7, 36 through 50. Jesus, um, they were upset because a woman who they called a sinner touched Jesus. She washed his feet. She kissed his feet, anointed his feet. They rebuked him. They said, how could you, if you were a prophet, you would know what this woman is. And let's face it, the things that she was accused of are not, they're not good things, but Jesus was more concerned about her and he rebuked the Pharisees again and said, none of you did any of this for me. Again, weightier matters. Luke 19, 35 through 40. He was, re, he was uh, the Pharisees were upset with him because he did not rebuke his disciples. Because why? They were being too noisy, rejoicing and praising God. Praising Jesus the Savior. John 8, 1 through 11. They wanted Jesus to agree to stone an adulterous woman. Again, Jesus rebuked them. And he said, He who is without sin cast the first stone. John 9, 1 through 41. He healed a blind man. And this is what they said of Jesus. This man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath. Now, this is not an exhaustive study, but to me it is overwhelming how many times the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, the high priests, the lawyers, the scribes, they came to Jesus and said, how can you not follow these rules and regulations? You don't love God. You don't care about our ways and our laws. What kind of man are you? Some of the names the Pharisees called um, Jesus. He was a blasphemer. He was a glutton. He was a wine-bibber. He was a friend of sinners. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember. I think there was a time he was called Beelzebub. He was called the devil. I mean, every one of those is pretty 
uh, overwhelming that they thought about this as Je- this is Jesus we're talking about, not you or me. We have we have our fallacy. We have some of those issues, not Jesus. So this is the way they looked at him, simply because he didn't follow their laws, their standards, their rules. Uh, what did Jesus think about them? He said they were hard of heart, uh, passing over the love of God, blind, fools, serpents, vipers, and hypocrites. What was the Pharisees' problems? They taught the law, but did not always follow the law. They taught about God, but did not love God. They taught to people, but they did not love people. Uh, go to Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three. Matthew 23, 23. I'm going to read right through to verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of the mint and the anise and the cumin and have omitted the weightier matters, that title in my message, the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of exhortation and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, and that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Um, Talks about the weightier matters, judgment, mercy, and faith. He also talks about it being a sepulcher, which is like uh, where you bury, where you have um, like a tomb. Uh, and that the Pharisees were very good about their outward appearance, about how they kept clean, about they follow the law in most cases to a T. You know, concerned about washing maybe their hands to the elbow and not the weightier matters that God would have for them. Uh, one of the other issues, you don't have to turn there, Mark 7, 1 through 9. Again, they would eat bread with unwashed hands, and this is what Jesus said. Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own traditions. They were so worried about their own traditions, their own standards, their own views, the laws they'd come up with that they reject. It says, Jesus said this, not me. They rejected the commandment of God. Some things to think about. I've heard that there were 613 commandments in the Old Testament. I, uh, I chose not to count them. Uh, I don't. I'll take it on authority. Over 600 commandments. And yet, God sent Moses down. I got Moses here today. 
God sent Moses down with ten. Then Jesus also, common, uh, he would r- regularly refer to the Ten Commandments, yet when he was asked about the great commandment, uh, there was two. Uh, I don't know if both were the great commandment, great commandment because of the wording, but the great commandment was to love thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul. But then he says, and like unto that, he goes right into loving one another. And uh, that was... I'm not saying that the the 600-plus commandments are not important or that the two great commandments outweigh the ten. But that's, I think there's a weightier matter. And the weightier matter is a love of God. The absolute, it even overshadows the second great commandment. The love of God is is by far the hardest, the the more important. Uh, Just assuming that everybody I'm talking to today, that's not an issue. But then there's the love of, of your neighbor. This talks. Uh, this tells me what is more important. When God, when Jesus asked about the commandments, and this is that was his answer. Um, don't have to turn there, but in in Matthew, uh, let's see, in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-five through forty, you can read it. It talks about it is the two great commandments. And after he states those commandments, he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's how important these two great commandments were. All the law. Um, all right. Uh, Micah 6 2. Micah 6 2. Micah 6, 2. I'm going to read verse 2, then I'm going to jump 6 through 8. Micah 6, Micah 6, 2. Hear ye, you mountain, the law, Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. If the Lord hath a, uh, a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. I think it's interesting. He says controversy with his people. He's talking about the Israelites and the Jews, but he could be talking about us. Um, Jumping down to verse 6. Wherefore shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed me, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. All right, my time's up. Just some questions to ask you for this coming year. What Are you just? How is your mercy and humility with dealing with others? Do you have the trait of hypocrisy? And let, let's face it, we all do. I know I do. We have to fight that. Do you have the trait of like hypocrisy like the Pharisees? 
The Pharisees were consumed by the law and not the love of God and definitely not the love of others. Are you more worried about your personal convictions and standards than you are about your love for others? Exodus 30. I'm going to apologize ahead of time. I, I've got a lot of scriptures, and when I, when I went through this this afternoon, I just had enough time to get through if I had the scriptures all printed out and, and roll right along. So I'll apologize if you want to follow along. you probably have to take notes to, to get it. Okay, Exodus chapter 30, verse number 34. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacti and anica and galbanum. These sweet spices, with pure frankincense, of each shall there be a like weight. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection, after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. Thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the con congregation, where I will meet with thee it shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof, it shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you, Lord God, for uh, the Lord Jesus who appears all throughout the Scripture uh, help me now, Lord, to um, put, put forth words that are pleasing to you and that will uh, reveal the Lord Jesus Christ in, in one of his uh, characteristics, in one of his um, um, ministries, Father. One of the things that he did for us and demonstrated for us uh, that we might be like him. Uh, bless this time now, Father, and we ask in Jesus' name. A couple of weeks ago, the phrase in verse 36 caught my attention. And thou shalt beat some of it very small. Uh, I recalled as I uh, read the passage that um, Christ, in his person and work, are pictured in the tabernacle. Hebrews 9, 20, 22 through 24 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns, speaking of that earthly tabernacle, of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, again a reference to the earthly tabernacle, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So we see the Lord Jesus in his person and in his work um, uh, figured or uh, uh, typically expressed in the tabernacle. 
And so I wondered what this beaten perfume might be about. I didn't really remember previously reading or hearing about the perfume, so I started to dig. Uh, dig into the Bible, uh, find some things on the internet. Uh, and it wasn't too long before I had a lot of scriptures and a lot of thoughts uh, relating to this passage. My first thought about the phrase that caught my attention centered on the word beat. And thou shalt beat some of it very small. Naturally, I thought immediately of the sufferings of Christ. Uh, when I added the words very small, wow, what, what a description of the Lord's suffering. His agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. The injustices at the hands of the Jews and the Romans. His scourging and His crucifixion. The Lord's suffering was thorough and complete to the most excruciating and extreme detail. Then I began to look at other passages, uh, other details in the passage, like what are these spices? Uh, Stacti, Annika, and Galbanum only occur in this verse, uh, verse 34, in all of the scriptures. There's debate about what the plants correspond, uh, what plants correspond to the names here, um, but it seems likely that at least some of the spices are the dried sap of a plant, uh, since the spices had to be solid in order to be beaten very small, that is, into a powdery form. It's interesting that the dried pieces of sap of various plants, like myrrh, are often referred to as tears. It's easy enough to tie that to the Lord Jesus. As for frankincense, we're all acquainted with it, especially uh, in connection with the visit of the wise men to the young child Jesus. Um, it's difficult to say what each of these individual spices corresponds to, uh, but just as important to that, maybe we need to notice that the spices were sweet spices and that the beating of them is what allowed their blended fragrances to be released. Did you know that God likes some smells? And that these smells, He doesn't just like them, they're important to Him. In Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, it says, And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. This, of course, is after the flood and after the water has receded. Verse 21, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I smite any more every living thing as I have done. The Lord smelled a sweet savor. And he responded to that with... Uh, uh, a determination in his heart. He was pleased with that smell. And he determined he was never going to do that again. He was never going to smite every living thing. Leviticus chapter 16, verses 11 through 14. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer, full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. 
and he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. This, of course, is the atonement that the high priest made once a year on the mercy seat. And most of us are familiar with that blood of atonement and Christ being the Lamb of God. But I never really paid a whole lot of attention to the fact that that high priest had to have that cloud of incense covering the mercy seat. And if that sweet smell of that incense was not covering the mercy seat, God would have killed him. So that smell was important. <clears throat> so looking at this sweet perfume that we talked about in our opening verses, why was this perfume important? And these tie to the Lord Jesus. First of all, it was God's command and it was God's will in verse 34. Verse 35, when this perfume was compounded, it was pure and holy. That enough is, is, would make it important to God. Verse 36, when it was beaten very small, it changed from holy to most holy. There was the holy place in the tabernacle. And there was the most holy place. And there was a difference. In the most holy place was where God met with the high priest. And verse 37 and 38, it was never, this perfume was never to be duplicated for common use. It was holy for the Lord. So, what does this have to do with the Lord Jesus? Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 3 and verse 10. Who hath believed our report? Familiar passage. And to whom is the Lord, the arm of the Lord, revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form, nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You know, you, you think about those sweet spices, if they were indeed the dried sap of various plants. You look at a dried old chunk of sap, it's not very beautiful. It's, it's interesting that there was no beauty in the Lord. And these sweet spices that were to make up this perfume, there was no beauty on the outside of those either. Verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord. To bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. And as he said also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Of course, the Lord Jesus being a priest ties easily to the tabernacle as well who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, a reference to the Garden of Gethsemane, a reference to when the Lord Jesus went apart from all of the disciples and he prayed 
And he approached the Father asking for that cup to pass from him. Verse 8, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Luke 22, verses 39 through 44, And he came out and went, as was his wont, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Here's what I think, trying the best I can to reason from the Scriptures and being faithful to the Scriptures. The perfume in our opening passage relates to the Lord Jesus' suffering and atonement. But prior to and distinct from the shedding of his blood, the atonement is all one thing, but there are facets of it, distinct facets. The perfume uh, that we read about pleases God, and as such, it's a type of Christ's, Christ's work as our propitiation. Christ's blood paid our debt and secured our forgiveness. That's the negative part of the atonement. But His life, His holiness, His obedience to the Father's will secured the Father's favor and pleasure toward us the moment we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the negative the atonement, there's the positive, the propitiation that God should once again be pleased and favorable toward us. And the uniqueness of this perfume, I think it's a type also of the unique obedience rendered by the Lord Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Never before was the Father's will ever a matter for debate or consideration on the part of the Lord Jesus. But in the garden, in a terrible agony of distress, the Lord asked the Father to reconsider the cup that He was giving to the Son. But the bottom line, not my will, the Lord Jesus said but thine. Do you realize that this is a unique moment in all of time that the will of the Son and the will of the Father came to a point of disagreement where the, where the Lord Jesus wanted the cup to pass and yet He yielded to the Father's will. In that moment, the sweetest fragrance of obedience ever released to the Father's smell came <clears throat> as the sun was beaten very small. The first part of Proverbs 27.9 says, Ointment 
and perfume rejoice the heart. And I couldn't help but picturing the Father rejoicing and pointing over the balcony of heaven and saying, That's My Son! If you're a Christian tonight undergoing trouble or heartache or pain or disability or maybe something most terrible, maybe this message can, can encourage you a little bit. Maybe it can give some additional meaning to your suffering. You have the, glor- the opportunity to glorify and please God in a manner that is unavailable at any other time. You have the opportunity to offer up the sweet perfume of obedience and submission to Him that is well-pleasing to Him and partakes of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. What will you choose? My title is Thankfulness. Please turn to Luke 17, 12, Luke 17. Tonight I am going to talk about the importance of being thankful. It is not happy people that are thankful. It is thankful people that are happy. And as he entered into a certain (coughs) village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood far off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. Thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God. Save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. The first way to show thankfulness is to obey. Obey God. We need to obey God by going to church, reading our Bible, and praying. The second way to obey is obeying our parents. We are to honor. The third way is to obey authorities God puts in our life. 
A great example is in Romans 13. The second way to show thankfulness is it's simple. Is simple. Just say thank you. God wants us to be thankful for all things. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, In every give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The third way to show thankfulness is by sharing what God gives us. God gave us salvation. We can show our thankfulness for salvation by witnessing and passing out tracts. We can show our thankfulness from the money God gives us by giving in the offering. First Corinthians 9.1 says, God loves a cheerful giver. In this new year, let us set a goal to be more like the one leper and show our thankfulness. Yeah. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26, please. Matthew 26. I'm going to preach a message tonight called One Hour. And no, that is not how long the message is. It's not one hour. It could be, but you don't want to. But Matthew 26, uh, 36, it says... Um, then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here, while ye go, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then he saith, then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? In verse 41, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. And if, you'll, if you read further down in the passage, you would see that uh, a couple other times he came back and they were asleep. And um, uh, I'd like to start out with a little bit of an illustration. Um, on uh, Labor Day, and this is not about Syracuse football, okay, but I'm using Syracuse football as an example. But on Labor Day weekend, my boys and I went to Lynchburg, Virginia, and we watched the Syracuse football game. And uh, it was 96 degrees, and our seats were in the direct sunlight. During the three-plus hours that we spent in that stadium, I don't ever recall my boys complaining. I don't ever recall complaining about the heat. Never, I don't, I mean, that was hot. Even the bleachers were hot. You'd get burned if you touched them. Uh, and the, as that went on, like I said, we never, we never complained. I don't ever remember them complaining. Fast forward a few weeks, and it was a sunny night, and it was a hot day in New York. And um, it was in the 90s, and it was hot in this auditorium. 
To me, 60, 60 degrees or higher is hot, okay? I know all of you don't have, you know, R35 insulation like I do, but I, all right, and that's my fault, but I think I have ICF, but anyways, if you know what that is. I got real thick insulation, so I get hot really easy. And I was sweating, and my shirt was soaked, and it was sticking to me, and I was sticking to the pew, and my wife had to wash a brown line off the back of my shirt because it sticks to the pew when it gets really hot and I sweat, okay? And I said, you know, this is ridiculous. I was just, I'm just being honest with you. I said, this is ridiculous. It's so hot in here. We need to just go home. I didn't go home. And right at that moment, <laughs> the Holy Spirit said to me, you idiot, you sat 96 degrees for three plus hours and you never complained one time to watch Syracuse barely beat a team that they should have crushed. But that's another story, right? But, and I said, are you kidding me? Get it together. <laughs> and um, it just, you know, showed me that, you know, sometimes your priorities aren't exactly what they should be. And in this passage, we see he, God doesn't ask for, Jesus doesn't ask for much. He says, just give me one hour. And they couldn't do it. I'm tired. I've had a long week. Does that sound like anything that we say sometimes? Including me. <laughs> All right? So I'm just going to go through, and we're just going to have a few points of um, how uh, we can be more uh, pleasing to God with our time. Uh, first of all, uh, God deserves our time. Uh, without him, we do not exist. And, and I think we all, we all know that. Uh, but that's the, the most important. He deserves our time. Second of all, not only does he deserve our time, but think about this, almost for not really selfish reasons, but think about how much you benefit from time with God. Uh, you know, there's the song, uh, Sweet Hour of Prayer. Um, and you think about the words of that song and the benefits that come with it, the closeness to him, the way that it, it helps us in our daily life. I mean, the benefits far outweigh the time that we, that we take. Third, let's look, uh, it says, um, again, going back to this one-hour idea, let's ask ourselves some honest questions. You know, this is the last day of the year, and... Um, I'm one of these people that I love the last day of the year. I really do. Because that means that there's a new page in the calendar. There's a new Bible reading schedule. I like new notebooks. I don't know. I've always been like that. New notebooks, new pads of paper. You know, you get the... Sometimes I would doodle at the bottom of a piece of paper just because I could start a new piece of paper. Because I love new paper. And I like new things, right? And so it's good to ask ourselves some questions. So, here's the first question. Do you watch movies for more than an hour? And I think most movies are over an hour. When's the last time you stopped a movie for a bathroom break? Just ask yourself that question. We have to take a bathroom break in church. Now, if you have a medical thing, I'm not, <laughs> this is not what I'm saying, okay? I've left the church to use the bathroom before, okay? My kids have, okay? Please, we do not, for the church, she's not here tonight, but for the church cleaner's benefit, don't persevere to the end if you really have to go, all right? But, but ask yourself that. I mean, 
you know, sometimes I, I think, well, you know, they're little kids. It's, it's hard to get them to pay attention in church. And I say, you know, when I put a movie on downstairs, they sit through that movie for two hours with no problem. So the least they could do was sit in church for an hour and a half or two hours. So do you do that? Do you, um, sure, if you go to a music concert, I mean, we, my kids and I went to this uh, classical music thing they had at the Merry-Go-Round Playhouse, and I don't remember people leaving. But we'll, we'll leave God's house. Oh, I'm thirsty, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm hot. It's too cold in there, right? But we don't usually make those excuses at other places. Um, you know, this is an easy one for me because I'm not much of a technology guy. Well, I shouldn't say that. I use my phone. But, um, but do you play on your phone in church? I hope not. You wouldn't, at least I wouldn't. If I went to, if, when I go to a football game, now, this football, I know everybody, this, it's not your thing, okay? That's fine. Everybody has their own little thing, right? But when I go to a football game, I don't, I'm not on my phone. So I figure the least I could do when I'm in God's house is not be on my phone. He deserves at least, well, he deserves a lot more, but he deserves at least an hour and a half of my time. And by the way, you, and, and I, I'm, like I said, I have, you know the thing I've learned as, as my kids well, the thing you learn about kids is you wish you would have been a better kid. That's the least I'm learning. I think, wait a second, they weren't even around when I did that. How do they even think of that? And it's the exact same thing, but a couple steps worse than I even tried. Right? Who's showing them these tapes? Right? Um, and, uh, but um, my wife, I just showed her something the other day, and um, she was having a, a long day with a certain child, and um, I, I got home, and I found my report card from kindergarten, the first time I was in kindergarten, and, um, and I brought it upstairs, and I showed it to her, and I said, don't give up. I know, I know you've had a bad day. I said, but look at these remarks that this teacher made. Not very Christian-like, in my opinion, but she, and it was a Christian school, and I said, look at these remarks this teacher made. All these U's on the paper, and those, the, not U's, I forget what they were. There were needs improvement, was a bit, there's a lot of N's, and uh, uh, F's. They didn't give F's. It was part of the, I think it was the beginning of the power of positive thinking era. I don't know. But there was a lot of bad marks. And, and it's important, I guess, your kids are watching what you're doing, is what I'm saying. My kids are watching what I'm doing. What do I make a priority? If I can sit in three hours and 96 degrees, then I can sit in church with a smile on my face and have a good attitude. Make your time, last of all, make your time with God a priority. Early in the morning, now I understand, everybody's schedules are different, uh, you know, me and Mr. Salvage have talked about we're, for years we were midnight buddies and uh, working the night shift, and I know how that really messes you up. And uh, for me, because of, I was able at the time, I could read in the morning right as my shift was finishing. Now my shift is, sometimes, to be honest with you, because I don't prioritize my time correctly, 
Days I don't read my Bible, it's, because it's my fault before I leave for work. But I'll, I'll, what I'll do, though, is I'll turn on, I love technology for this. I have the Bible on my phone, and I can listen to it in my vehicle as I'm driving to work. That's a lot better than uh, uh, Mike, it's not Mike and Mike in the morning, but what are, uh, the show in the morning on ESPN, although I do listen to that still sometimes, or the, you know, somewhere out there with George Norrie. Some, that's pretty interesting sometimes, <laughs> right? But what, now, does that keep me entertained and keep my eyes on the road? Yes, it does. <laughs> but how is that really helping me? Now, I'm not saying up here saying you should eliminate anything. You know, that's not what I'm saying. You know that. The Bible says there's a balance. But it all starts with God. And, and that's the important thing is making time with God in the priority, making him the first part of your day. And then also, and, and I just talked about this, but use your time, your travel time. Don't just waste your, all your travel time. Yes, is it okay to listen to some talk radio, things like that? Yeah. But use your travel time. You can listen to books that will help you. That's, like I said, the modern the world that we live in, we have no excuse, yet we're, I think, in a lot of ways, further away from God than people in old time. And they didn't have sermonaudio.com and they couldn't, on a Sunday night, get be sick and stay home and watch a live service from all over, the, anywhere in the country. We have those things, but we have to have things in the right order. So let's determine, and then, you know, it's another year, you know, the Bible says a just man falleth seven times and riseth again. Let's determine, it's a new year, Start things off right and giving God at least an hour a day. Prayer, Bible reading, reading something that benefits your spiritual life. Let's at least give him one hour. He deserves at least that.